Hi, I'm Sarah Moshman, director of Losing Sight of Shore, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Well, I hope you had a great week and you're all ready for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 453 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this week on On Screen and Beyond, Sarah Moshman is going to be joining us. She uh, is a director who has a great film out. Now, if you believe it or not, four women rode across the Pacific Ocean from America to Australia. Sounds crazy. She has a documentary film about that. And uh, she was also one of the producers a while back on Dancing with the Stars and some other uh, TV shows, Minute to Win It, things like that. And she's going to be talking with us about this new film she has out. Get ready for it. Sarah Moshman is coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Also this week, May releases what's coming your way in theaters and on Blu-ray and DVD. It's all right here on On Screen and Beyond, so let's get ready. It's time for Remake Madness. Remake Madness coming your way in May in theaters. It looks like the story of King Arthur will return for a new version with King Arthur Legend of the Sword on May 12th. And Baywatch gets the big screen treatment on May 25th with none other than Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron. And that's it for remakes coming your way in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies in May in theaters. Upcoming new movies coming your way in May in theaters. Uh, we got a couple. May 12th, The Comedy Snatched with Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn comes our way. And Everything Everything lands in theaters on May 19th, telling the story of a girl with an illness that makes her life... Uh, it's, uh, basically, she's uh, sealed in a room, and she can't come out. Otherwise, it'll kill her. And uh, she meets somebody, and they... It sounds like a good story. So uh, everything, everything is coming up on May 19th. And that's it for upcoming new movies coming your way in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond. What's coming your way as far as sequels in May? We've got it next. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Sequel City, well, some of the big ones are coming your way. First off, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 will be soaring in theaters on May 5th. May 19th, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul, will be arriving. Alien is back on May 19th with Alien Covenant. And it's back. Johnny Depp returns as Jack Sparrow on May 26th in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And that is it for Sequel City. 
Coming your way in theaters in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD in May? TV on DVD coming your way in May, May 2nd, the 4400, the complete series, The Last Ship, Season 3, and Vegas, the complete series, and that's the one with Robert Urich. May 9th, ALF, the complete series, Emergency, Season 1, Ironside, Season 3, Mannix, the complete series, and Streets of San, and the Streets of San Francisco, the complete series. May 16th, it looks like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the complete series, will be coming your way. May 23rd, Call the Midwife, Season 6. SpongeBob, SquarePants, the first 100 episodes. And on May 30th, Beauty and the Beast, the complete series, Heart to Heart, the complete series, and Suits, Season 6. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen or Beyond, Movies on DVD coming your way in May. Movies on DVD coming your way in May. Let's see. May 2nd, A Dog's Purpose with Josh Gad and Dennis Quaid. Gold with Matthew McConaughey and Rings with Alex Rowe. May 9th, Allied with Brad Pitt. Fifty Shades Darker with Dakota Johnson. And on May 16th, Resident Evil, the final chapter. (laughs) I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, Let's see. And also The Space Between Us with Gary Oldman and... Triple X, Return of Xander Cage with Vin Diesel. And May 23rd, Get Out with Keith Stanfield. And The Great Wall with Matt Damon, Rock Dog with Luke Wilson. May 30th, The Shack with Sam Worthington. That's it for Movies on DVD coming your way in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, well... You know, they're remaking a lot of old TV shows, or not really necessarily remaking them, uh, actually bringing back the original people to redo the series sometimes, and, uh, you know, sometimes they, they do it all, basically all new. But the, the trend is to bring back some of the original characters. Well, Roseanne is returning to TV in a six-episode limited run, and it's in the works with the original cast, and that's right. Dan, John Goodman, who uh, died at the end of the original series, is coming back. And Johnny Gaelic, who uh, is, of course, on uh, The Big Bang Theory now, he is planning to return. But no network yet has been announced. They sort of got it out there, getting feelers of who's going to want it. Different uh, Netflix is in the the running, I guess, and ABC, where it originally ran, is also in the running. So uh, we'll find out and let you know as soon as we hear where that goes. But it uh, looks like Roseanne is going to be coming back for a short time. And sadly, last week, uh, just as we were doing uh, getting on the air, uh, Aaron Moran of Happy Days has passed away. And director Jonathan Demme also passed away. So uh, our wishes and thoughts go out to them and their families. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. <laughs> Celebrity birthdays, well, it looks like May 1st, Tim McGraw turns 50. May 2nd, Dwayne The Rock Johnson turns 45. May 3rd, Frankie Valli 
That's right, of the four seasons, turns 83. And on May 4th, Will Arnett turns 47. And on May 5th, Adele turns 29. And on May 6th, it looks like George Clooney turns 56. And Bob Seger turns 72. That's it for Celebrity Birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, we had one come in. And uh, let's see, Allie P. of Eugene, Oregon, will be turning 46 on May 3rd. So happy birthday, Allie, and to all our celebrity birthdays. And if you, a friend or a relative, are going to be having a birthday, be sure to send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we will see what we can do about getting that uh, birthday on for you. And uh, just send it in time so we can get it, you know, for a couple of weeks ahead so we can get it on our schedule. And uh, we'll all be wishing you a very happy birthday. So that's it for Celebrity and Listener Birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Sarah Moshman will be coming our way with an incredible story of a documentary film that she has made. And you do not want to miss this. And uh, stick around. It is something you want to hear right here. Sarah Moshman on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, our guest is a former producer of Dancing with the Stars and Minute to Win It. Now she is the director of the documentary film Losing Sight of Shore, an amazing story of four women who set out to row the Pacific Ocean from America to Australia. Row. (laughs) It will be uh, available on Netflix on May 1st, and it is now available on Amazon and iTunes right now. It's director Sarah Moshman. Sarah, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sarah, when the publisher sent me this this uh, email about this, I said to myself, i I got to get somebody on from this because this sounds like <laughs> a fascinating story. I hadn't heard of it, to be honest. Yeah. I, I didn't even know these women had, had, had done this. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty staggering what they've accomplished. It's been quite an adventure telling this story. Now, when did they do this? So this was between April and April 2015 and January 2016. The expedition was um, estimated to take about six months and it ended up taking about nine months to accomplish. So spoiler alert, they made it. <laughs> but that doesn't ruin the movie, I promise. Right. I didn't know if I should ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you know that. It's just as, it's just as good, even if you know how it oh, is, I promise. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. I, I can't roll a thousand feet in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, okay, first off, how did you get involved with this? You know, I mean, you wrote this, right? Yeah. I mean, you wrote the story and directed the whole thing, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I made a, another documentary called The Empowerment Project. Uh, all of my projects are rooted in this mission to help inspire women and uplift and inspire people um, and to showcase strong women on screen. I'm, I had become in 2012, 2013, very frustrated with the way the media misrepresents and portrays, over-sexualizes, objectifies women. And so I made my first feature in 2013 called The Empowerment Project, Ordinary Women Doing Extraordinary Things. Um, And with a group of all female filmmakers, we drove across the U.S. and interviewed female leaders in all different industries. 
Um, and so in promoting that film, um, I was interviewed by a blogger in the UK named Fiona. Uh, she runs a blog called Womanthology UK, which spotlights female entrepreneurs. Um, and she had interviewed me. And so in January of 2015, my film had come out. I'd been promoting it for a while. Uh, I just got an email from her in late January 2015 that said, Hey, Sarah, know that uh, you're interested in stories about, you know, inspiring women. And I happened to come across these four women that are called the Coxless Crew. And they're about to set off across the Pacific Ocean in a rowboat. And my first reaction was rowing. You know, I have no <laughs> knowledge in rowing. I'm not an athlete. Like, this is so not my story to tell. But sure, I'll, I'll Skype with them and see if they need any help. You know, I'm always down to talk to people and, and see if I can be of any service. But it, I genuinely, genuinely went into this first Skype conversation with two of the rowers, Natalia and Laura, with no expectation at all. And I think they did, too. They, they kind of just, we wanted to get a feel for each other. Um, and sure enough, I Skyped with the two of them. And, and by the end of this hour-long Skype, I was completely in. I was 100% going to direct this film. And the reason for that is that it's they're not professional athletes. They're not professional rowers, even. Um, they're four people that trained extensively, worked really hard to achieve this goal. Um, but to me, it was it was never a story about rowing. It's about friendship and perseverance and the power of the human spirit. And that was clear from the start. Um, and what really got me is Natalia, who is really the spiritual one of the group. She said, I believe that everyone has a Pacific to cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really spoke to me as well. And that felt like the tagline of the film, which it now is. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the abridged version of how I met them. And, and honestly, it was about two and a half months later that they set off um, from San Francisco under the Golden Gate Bridge. I'll never forget it. 3 a.m. So unceremonious and quiet. <laughs> Um, and I met them for the first time four days before they left on the journey. Um, and we had been Skyping, getting to know each other and preparing, you know, for a couple months, but it all happened very fast. And I think that's likely for the best. I couldn't talk myself out of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I can see why, I mean, this is incredible. I, I was, I was just blown away when I, when I saw this and, uh, it's like, wow. I mean, you know, they got to be a little crazy too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, they were a little crazy, which made me want to be a little crazy. So it was, <laughs> we fed off each other. And so them, everyone always asks me if I was on the boat and thankfully I, I was not, um, but it was still an adventure. Nonetheless, um, I bought them cameras and I taught them how to use the cameras so that they could be fully self-sufficient at sea. So they had hard drives on the boat. They had microphones, they had cameras, they had everything they need to, needed to tell their own story. Um, and none of them were filmmakers, um, but I gave them endless amounts of pep talks <laughs> about um, how to film and, and what to film and how, don't just tell me about the currents and the winds and the weather. I don't care about that. I want to know why. Why are you here? Why are you doing this? Why are you not going to quit? Or are you going to quit? You know, in those moments of weakness and vulnerability, that's where your true character really shines. And I wanted that, that second and third layer of the story to come out. Um, and so it was an incredibly enormous risk on my part, you know, to really hand over the reins. I had filmed with them for about four days before they left. So interviewing them and their family members and watching them prepare to leave. But really when they rode away, it was their story to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had the privilege of, of traveling, um, to meet them on land along the way. So although this was a nine month journey, they did stop. It was a three leg expedition. So San Francisco to Hawaii was the first leg. Hawaii to Samoa was the second leg. And then Samoa to Australia was the final. 
and third leg. And so I was there every time they were on land and I would rent a boat and a captain and, and get their shore support. This amazing guy named Tony and the two of us uh, would go out and meet them several hours offshore and capture their triumphant arrival into land um, with drones and all kinds of fun tools. So, um, no, I wasn't on the boat, but it was such an adventure for me as well. Wow. <laughs> that is really something. And, and I want our listeners to realize that this was not a big boat either. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a 29-foot pink ocean rowing boat with two cabins, um, one on either side, and that's where they slept. They rode 24 hours a day, two hours on, two hours off. Um, which is insane. So they went from what we what we do every night, which is monophasic sleeping pattern, to a polyphasic sleeping pattern. So only sleeping about ninety minutes at a time, um, and then they would get get back up and and keep rowing no matter what. I mean, there's no escape. There was no support boat. They were all alone out there, and the only way out was through. So it was just it's just still staggering to me. Even though I watched all nine months of footage and really had a front row seat to the whole journey. I still can't believe they did it. Wow. And now, uh, they obviously obviously couldn't keep the amount of food and water on the boat with them from, you know, even from America to, you know, the U.S. to, I mean, uh, the mainland to Hawaii. Uh, So how did they deal with that? Well, they did actually. They had all the food they were going to eat on the boat for each leg. So they had expedition food. Wow. Yeah, so they would um, they created their own water. They had a water pumping system, um, which actually fails at one point near the end of the movie, and they have to then pump their own water, um, which is insane. Uh, but <laughs> they created their own water on the boat. Nothing was ever cold on the boat. I think that's important to understand. It was very hot a lot of the time, and they one thing they said they missed the most was condensation, which is fascinating if you think you'd ever miss something like condensation. Um, but they would heat up water in their jet boil and then add water to this powder-like substance, you know, the expedition food, which was beef curry or shepherd's pie, um, and it would heat the food enough. It's kind of just like mush. It's like baby food, Um, and they would eat that uh, three meals a day, which would equal about 5,000 calories a day to make up for all the energy they were burning rowing 12 hours a day. So they were diligent about eating enough to, to maintain their energy hmm. on the boat. Jeez. Did, did they lose a lot of weight in that time period? Of um, Some did. I think uh, a couple of them got pretty seasick, actually, in that they put on weight in preparation for the journey. And unfortunately, uh. this isn't even in the film, really, but Laura, the team lead, Laura Penhall, got pretty sick right from the start, and she lost a lot of the weight that she had put on in training right away. Um, which wasn't good. You know, she wanted to maintain that weight. Mm-hmm. Um, some did, but it's, it's, it, you have to remember they're, they're not, there's no impact on the boat. Like they're never really standing up straight. Mm-hmm. So they actually lost a lot of muscle and, and bone density actually by the end, which is pretty crazy. But they did a lot of um, physical testing before and during and after. So they're, they're even studying those results now about how much their bodies changed. But if people think, oh, they must be so bulk or they must be so fit. And in some ways, yes, of course. But in other ways, it was like an incredibly unhealthy thing to do. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, their their calves, for example, were like in atrophy because they weren't using them at all Mm -hmm. for nine months. 
Wow. So it, it is very interesting exercise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, in the human body. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the, their arms obviously would have been doing a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, but they're like you say, their legs are just you can't stand. Not really or, moving. Geez. Yeah, they're they're standing, but they're bracing themselves because you have to like carefully maneuver on the boat. And so it was always fascinating to see them take their first steps on solid ground in Hawaii. You know, watching them wobble around is really fun. And, you know, sometimes they'd be standing still and then they would just kind of fall over. I mean, <laughs> their equilibrium was very off. Right. And watching them eat food, solid food for the first time in three months. I mean, you can imagine eating mush all the time. And then you get to finally, you know, chomp down on this huge burger. It was it was really fun to eat with them on land. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a new appreciation for food with them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you hear people, you know, oh, I've been on a ship all this time. And now I'm, uh, you know, getting my, you know, getting sea legs, sea legs yeah. and all this stuff, you know. But but they're not walking, so they're not getting sea legs. And, and when they get off, they're, I mean... I don't know. It's it's just crazy that the, that is. they could do something like that. Now, how long did they stay in <clears throat> excuse me Hawaii before they continued on to Samoa? Yeah, each stop was about seven to ten days um, to restock their boat. You know, they weren't they weren't even just relaxing. Unfortunately, they'd get maybe one day off of complete relaxation. Otherwise, um, I you know I would film them as they cleaned out their boat. They would. Tony would be there, their shore support on every stop, and they would talk about their route for the next leg and um, plan, and, and um, shipments of food would come, of new expedition food for them to to eat on the next leg, and, and all kinds of things, you know, catching up with family. They hadn't really been in communication with anybody, so all that, all the admin of it all, um, they would do for about a week or 10 days, and then they'd set off on the next leg. It was, I can't, it, no, no team of four has ever road across the Pacific, especially in this fast of a manner. It's called a continuous three-stage row. There have been rowers that have done the first leg, you know, um, San Francisco to Hawaii, for example, and then waited a year and done the next leg, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, no fault of their own. That sounds awful and really hard as But the Cox's crew were a special kind of, uh, of determined, I guess, to get it all done in kind of one swoop. So, um they would sleep eight hours a night even when they would get back on land and then somehow transition back into the polyphasic sleeping pattern. Huh. Now, yeah. I'm sure this is all in the film, uh, but uh, you know, maybe you can give us a little tease about it. Uh, I'm sure they hit bad weather and the waves must have been humongous yeah. at some times. Oh, absolutely. Um, they ran into a tropical storm near the end of the first leg um, nearing Hawaii, tropical storm Ella. Um, and as well as they came very close to a, a really large container ship that sort of warns them of this bad weather. And that's kind of our like dramatic, you know, part of leg one. Um, they faced bad weather throughout. I mean, the problem was that they had their expedition ended up to be during an El Nino year. Mm -hmm. And so um, even though they are physically rowing, it's a one ton boat. So they need as much wind help. Um, as they can get, and there just weren't the same kind of currents and winds that there are in other years because of El Nino. Um, and they struggled a lot with that in leg two. Um, they were supposed to take about 60 days to get from Hawaii to Samoa, and it ends up taking 97 days um, to get from Hawaii to Samoa because of a, a part of the ocean called the doldrums, where the weather is just really crazy and the currents are, you know, still and they're moving in different directions. I mean, it, I won't pretend to understand how it all works, but it's 
really staggering how many challenges they had to face. And honestly, my favorite part about this film is although we're talking very much about like the logistics and the rowing part, to me, it's all just a bigger metaphor for the Pacifics that we all cross in our lives and the struggles we all face. So it, it's really powerful when you think about their journey as like a representation of so many other things that we all go through. Yeah. Now, was this the first time they'd ever been to Hawaii? Um, no, I think they'd all been there. Um, they're all from the UK and um, a couple of them are from South Africa. Uh, but they had been, I believe they'd all been to Hawaii before. Uh, they had, None of them had been to Samoa, which most people haven't. It's such right. a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and I think only one or two of them had been to Australia. But it was, no matter what, I mean, any land would have been <laughs> total heaven for them <laughs> when they've been away for so long. And they've only interacted really with each other and no privacy and all the things. Yeah. yeah. But when you get to Hawaii, usually, you know, the first thing that, you know, or not the first thing, but the, they usually try to get you to have some poi. Uh, when you're there, yeah. but you know, if you're, if you're that long out in the ocean rowing, when you get there, you don't want poi. <laughs> yeah. Right. You want a burger. That's right. To... <laughs> Something, anything. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of uh, brownie Sundays and burgers. And, yeah. They weren't even, they wanted just fresh, colorful food. Cause all they had was really like mush. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Reese's peanut butter cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Now, after they did the whole entire trip, you got all the film, uh, you know, the, the footage that they had, had done. How long did it mm-hmm. take you to compile it to what you finally ended up with, with uh, Losing Sight of Shore? Yeah, I mean, the whole project for me um, from that first email to today has been just shy of two and a half years. Um, so I didn't even... It's been an interesting journey for me because in previous projects, you know, the project kind of goes phase by phase, like you're fundraising and then you're in pre-production, then production. This was really every phase at the same time, all the time. Um, you know, I was figuring out how I was going to plan out the next shoot when I would meet them on land and keep in mind, I don't know when they're going to be there at the next stop. So my whole life was just really at the mercy of, of Doris, their boat. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to figure out when I would be booking a flight to go meet them in the middle of nowhere in Samoa, which is not a cheap flight at any time of the year from Los Angeles, but to book it two days before you leave is even worse. Um, so there was a lot of that, um, raising money to try to you know keep this project alive was incredibly difficult. But the, I think the positive was that each leg that I saw them when I showed up in Hawaii, for example, I collected their hard drives. And then I had all that footage to go through and to understand what their journey was like um, to, to help better inform how I was making the film moving forward. And so between Hawaii and Samoa, while they were rowing, I was not only raising money and you know keeping the project alive in that regard, but I was watching the footage they had given me and figuring out, you know, what is the structure of this film? How am I going to tell this story? What is each character going through? What is their arc? Um, and are they effectively communicating that to me or do I need to ask them to like help better explain what they're going through? Um, I think my saving grace of this whole project was their blog 
they actually had a little bit of internet each day. Um, they had a device called the Iridium Go, and they would write a blog on their iPad, um, which sometimes worked, sometimes didn't, and they would send their blog to their social media manager in the UK, and she would upload it to their website. So anyone, anywhere could see not only where Doris was in the world and how many miles it, she had rode in the last 24 hours, um, but you could read about what they were going through. Um, and they blogged every single day, 257 days, 257 blogs. It's really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would read their blog and get a feel for what they were going through. And then I would email them and say, hey, you know, Emma, you mentioned that you were really struggling today and you're really tired. You know, can you talk to the camera about that? And here's five questions that relate to that. Um, and then Emma, you know, I would hope would go pick up the camera and do that into my huge delight and surprise she did and they all did and they really you know took my instructions very seriously and wanted to help me tell their story in the best way possible and so although I wasn't on the boat I was dry and on land in my (laughs) office you know on my computer I was thinking about how to structure this story constantly by watching their footage by reading their blogs by sending them questions by interviewing them on land Um, and ultimately um, the nine months of footage didn't seem insurmountable because I knew what story I wanted to tell. By the time they got to Australia for the big finish, it was so clear to me how, what each of their journeys was and how I was going to piece that together. And so going through the footage was not this, you know, black hole of what Mm -hmm. am I going to do? And there's too much to look at. It just was very clear to me knowing them and getting to know them better, that it was, it was going to be really powerful to interweave that. Was there any point where you said to yourself, I wish I was on the boat with them? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were so many days where they were struggling, and um, I would go to the gym and, like, get on the ergo, the rowing machine, and just sort of, like, pretend and (laughs) wish I was with them. I mean, I certainly, in practicality, don't wish I had been on the boat, but I also just respect and admire them so deeply, and they're certainly my heroes. And so there's absolutely a part of me that was, in moments where they were struggling, just wishing I could be there. The, the one thing I did was, this is not in the film, um, but Laura and um, Emma, two of the rowers, are big fans of the Backstreet Boys. And so I was, I had worked on Dancing with the Stars, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. um, Nick Carter, who's the lead singer of the Backstreet Boys, was on the show. And yeah. so I asked him to record a video message for them while they were at sea. And so I got to, in the midst of their second leg, fiasco of of rowing in the wrong direction and going through all this trouble i got to call them on their sat phone and play them this that this message and so it was like nick carter was saying you know keep going keep going and it was really exciting to kind of give them that treat you know and they were in a really low spot wow so i did my best to keep them motivated <laughs> huh. <clears throat> well I, I i gotta you know my hat is off to them for doing this i mean it, it's incredible yeah. that they they did this and you know just to to attempt something like this and and also my hats off to you for for taking it and making it into a story that the rest of us can share yeah thank you i mean the the idea that there wasn't going to be anyone to tell this story i mean that was reason enough to to jump in i can't believe that i got so lucky and this really kind of landed in my lap and i'm i'm just grateful that i saw the potential and and that i was foolish enough to take to take this big risk not knowing if it would pay off and um, it has truly been such an exhilarating experience for me and, and getting to know them has been such a joy. And now, you know, Netflix is in 190 countries and it's going to be subtitled in 25 languages. I mean, that's, that's the dream is that your film can be seen on such a worldwide scale. So I'm, 
am over the moon about how it's all turned out and, and how we can now share their incredibly inspirational story with anyone that, you know, has a computer. So that's exciting. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, this, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching it. There's no question about that because <laughs> I, I, I got to see it. I mean, <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. amazing Well, it's, story. it's funny. It's a 92 minute film. And I always say when, when we, audiences it's like that's not even one shift on the boat it's really <laughs> right. crazy it was nine months packed into 90 minutes and 90 minutes isn't even the length of one shift so mm-hmm. it's, it's a tremendous snapshot of what their journey was like but really none of us will really know what it was like because it you know it was nine months every second of every day they spent right. rowing the pacific ocean breaking and some excuse me setting world records setting two world records so yeah. i mean they're just incredible humans and I, I hope their journey is just inspiring for people for all different reasons like beyond athletic reasons right yeah yeah now was there was there any point where you you, you say you got it down to 90 90 minutes but mm-hmm. was there a point where you kept saying oh you know I, I should really put this into and this into and then you know then you get it to two hours or three hours or whatever but it must have been difficult to get it down to 90 minutes it was. Um, I had a, a tremendous editor. His, his name's Peter Seraphim, and um, we actually went to college together, and this is our, our first time working together. And we we were really just on the same page from the start. I, I logged all the footage and did string outs, so he didn't have to kind of do all that grunt work. And then we would have these really great conversations about story, and we put these different philosophies up on a board. One of which was like, this is not a film about rowing. You know, that was really important to me because mm-hmm. um, that doesn't interest me. You know, I, I like the fact that I come at this with the curiosity of someone who knows nothing about rowing. And I wanted it to be a film that anyone could enjoy, not just athletes um, or people interested in sports. Um, and we talked about like how we wanted the audience to feel when they left the theater or were done watching it. You know, we want them to feel like they can take on the world and they want to just whip out their bucket list and start crossing things off. Like I just want people to feel totally empowered after seeing it. Um, so we put these kind of pillars of our philosophies up on a board and, and that really helped dictate a lot of our choices. You know, when we're airing on the side of more information or less about the boat or the logistics or how things work. Um, we would sort of think, well, what, you know, we these pillars would help dictate those choices, and that was great. Um, and I think the hardest thing for me was that people have a lot of questions after watching the movie, as they should, as any good film does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to differentiate, like, what are questions that absolutely have to be answered for you to enjoy the movie? And what are questions that it's okay for you to wonder? And you could just look up later or ask us in person if you're at a screening or you might just wonder and that's okay too. I think that was like the harder, the hardest differentiator for me was to think that the audience would leave with questions that weren't answered. And I had to have this shift of like, and maybe that's okay. And it's good to have questions and it's good to be curious. And you don't want to answer every single question because then maybe it wasn't, you know, boring or, or you don't want to tie up everything in a neat little bow. You know, it's okay to make the audience work a little bit. Um, but we we never had like a three hour cut. I'm I'm proud to say. I mean, with my first feature, we went from like a six hour cut to a four and a half to three. I mean, it's just a very long process. And I think you just learn so much by making more films. And I was very clear with my vision. And Pete was a phenomenal editor and very efficient. And so we just attacked it kind of piece by piece. The beginning and the end always take the longest because they're the most important. Um, but we really had for us a very clear almost three act structure for this it feels very narrative in some ways 
Um, it's, it's like the hero's journey in Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. So that was nice. The structure of it really lended itself um, for us. And, um, yeah, we just kind of went piece by piece and thought about it as little pods. You know, like here's the pod where there's frustration or here's the story pod where they see a whale or, yeah. you know, here's the pod where they're in Hawaii. And we, you know, had these little pieces to put together. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't I don't think we had more than a two hour cut. Honestly, it was always very tight and, and yeah. going from like 100 minutes to 92 minutes was probably the hardest part. Just yeah. how do we trim the fat here and, and leave the audience wanting more instead of making them feel like, when is this going to be over? <laughs> wow, that's great. So it, was, it was a pretty efficient process, and I think that's a testament to my editor, and just, he's so phenomenal, and, and it was just a joy to work together on it, and we, we were really excited about it, so that was that was good. I'm sure, yeah. Well, Sarah, I, I want to finish up with two final questions. Great. Now, this takes us away from uh, losing sight of the shore and also your, your everything you've done, the directing and everything else. But uh, mm-hmm. when you sit back and relax, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past? Ooh. And what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Great question. Um, Parks and Recreation is my favorite show of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, Leslie Nope is my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I legitimately watch that television show whenever I can, um, sometimes daily. I just love the spirit of it, and I love the message and it's so funny and it just makes me feel com you know comforted mm-hmm. um movies gosh ah that's so tough I, I mean forrest gump is such a classic and as luck would have it forrest gump is also going to be on netflix on may 1st which i was really excited to oh. find <laughs> that i get to share this like list with forrest gump um yeah, I don't know. That's what comes to mind at the moment. But I'm I'm a big fan of you know heartwarming, uplifting, inspiring stories, and and when women are portrayed in a favorable light is really important to me. And that's why I love Leslie Note because I think her character on television is pretty revolutionary when you think about it. How she's strong and flawed and complex and mm-hmm. um, and a great friend and you know a great wife and all, all the things that she can still be you know strong in her own way. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are my faves. All right. Well, you, you you have certainly made an inspiring film that uh, <laughs> you know everybody should see because uh, it's it's just an incredible story. And uh, like I said earlier, it's now on iTunes and Amazon, and on May first, it's on Netflix. Everybody should go out and watch that because it's it's just a, an amazing story. So, uh, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for sh- coming on here and sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is always a joy to talk about the process. <laughs> I want to thank Sarah so much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. And uh, it's you don't want to miss this film. I mean, this is really an amazing film that, uh, you know, they got to be crazy to be <laughs> to wanting to row across over there. But, uh, you know, going out on a lake is it can be dangerous. But they're out on a the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and I just cannot imagine the things they went through. But uh, you can catch a lot of it if you go watch the film. And uh, like we said, it's uh, going to be released on uh, May 1st on uh, Netflix, and it's uh, already out uh, right now on Amazon and on iTunes. So be sure to check that out. Well... That's it for this week. That's a wrap. 
So if you, a friend or a relative, are going to be having a birthday, be sure to send that to me. If you have a suggestion for uh, a guest that you'd like to hear here on On Screen and Beyond, send that to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. That is the place to contact me. And uh, if you are going to be, uh, you know, on Facebook, uh, be sure to to like us. If you're on iTunes listening to this, taking it down, whatever, uh, leave a review. We like hearing those. And, of course, it helps uh, other people find us because more and more people are reviewing them. Uh, We hope you enjoy it and hope you like it and, uh, you know, put a good review. But if you put a suggestion, that's fine, too. We appreciate anything you put up there. And that's it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Thank you.